1: It's been called cheap grace, greasy grace. At the end of the day, it's nothing more than grace misunderstood. We'll seek to understand grace from a biblical perspective next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. So often the church misunderstands grace and at the end of the day we find ourselves less than successful Christians, less than Christians that are victorious. And on today's broadcast, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose, we take a look at the true grace of God as laid out for us here in 1 Peter chapter 5. We would invite you to join us as we understand the grace of God in Christ and the grace of God in all of its true glory that we might better understand our position before God, thereby living a life that is indeed victorious in Christ. With this edition of Abounding Grace, once again, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. You see, this favor, this mercy, isn't something that God
0: owes you. It isn't something that God gives you because He is obligated to you in some way. That some way or another He is indebted to you because you've earned it. God is indebted to no man. But this favorable light that God looks upon us through is a favor that he sovereignly bestows. He looks upon his people with favor as he chooses to do so. So if God looks upon you with favor, it is not because you deserve it. It is because in spite of your demerits, in spite of what you justly deserve, condemnation, God has chosen rather to look upon you with grace and in mercy and in undeserved favor. So there is the first element of grace. Undeserved, divine favor, sovereignly bestowed in Christ. Now the second element, awesome divine power sovereignly exerted in Christ. You see, grace in the Bible isn't just a favorable light in which God looks at a person. Grace is also power. In fact, grace in Scripture is described in such terms that it is the most powerful thing in the entire universe. Do you remember what Paul said? about his Damascus Road experience. He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, and God came to him and knocked him down and blinded him. Then God looked upon him with favor, despite the fact that he deserved condemnation. It was nothing in Paul, brothers and sisters. It was all of God. Paul deserved condemnation. Years later, Paul gave this testimony that on that day on the road to Damascus, God changed my life. As you know, he went from a persecutor of Christians to being a missionary for Christ to the world. And he says, everything that I am, I am by the grace of God because God's grace has powerfully transformed my life. Everyone whom God looks upon with favor... And that's you and me. He exerts His power within their lives to transform them and to keep on transforming them until they are conformed into the image of Christ. So God's grace is not just a favorable light. God's grace is power. When God looks upon you with favor, He transforms your entire life. So grace is undeserved divine favor sovereignly bestowed in Christ, and assured, divine power sovereignly exerted in Christ. In other words, God's grace is also its fruits and its results. And what is the result of God looking upon us with His amazing grace and sheer mercy and undeserved favor? It is a magnificent salvation. A salvation that includes the full, total, eternal forgiveness of every sin you have ever committed. A full and gradual cleansing of your life until finally when you stand before God, you will be absolutely perfect and in the life to come, you will enjoy incomparable bliss in the presence of God. Uninterrupted happiness throughout all eternity that you begin to taste... And experience in part now, but which you shall enjoy in full in the last days. All of this majestic salvation is the accomplishment and fruit of God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. So now, meditate on what God's grace is. God's grace is His undeserved, divine favor, sovereignly bestowed in Christ. God's grace is His awesome, divine power, sovereignly exerted in Christ. And God's grace is His magnificent salvation, sovereignly accomplished in Christ. I know I'm being repetitious, beloved. But unless you meditate upon these things and let them become an intimate part of you, you are not going to be able to survive the onslaughts of this predominantly pagan culture. An understanding of the true grace of God also makes us death just a little more comfortable. There was a great Christian missionary by the name of Bruce Hunt who lived into his 90s. And God used him in Korea to lead thousands of people to Christ for decade after decade. As a very old man, and a feeble man at that, his mind started to falter. And he wouldn't always recognize people whom he'd known for years. And he couldn't always carry on in intelligent conversation. At times he didn't even recognize his own children. But when he prayed... It is said he had prayed as if he were a 20-year-old man steeped in theology and is said concerning his prayers at the end of his life that they were brilliant and filled with Scripture. In one of his last prayers, he prayed this, Almighty God, I'm told that these people in this room are my children. I don't recognize them, but I pray for them. And I thank you for your almighty grace that sent Jesus Christ to accomplish my eternal salvation by his death and resurrection through faith in him as my Lord and Savior. And on and on and on he went with eloquence. He didn't recognize his kids, but he recognized grace, and he was pleased to pray about it on his deathbed. And you, beloved, will only survive your trials and afflictions as you get well grounded in the doctrines of sovereign grace. Then, to stand boldly in it. That is the theme and the structure of the whole book of 1 Peter. Verse 12 of chapter 5 is a recapitulation of the entire letter. Of course, recapitulate means to take the general headings addressed in the previous chapters and then present them in summary one more time. Verse 12 is a summary of of 1 Peter. In fact, these last verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, you get an outline of the entire letter. He talks about exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Now stand firm in it. To testify is to declare, to explain, to expound. And in chapters 1 and 2, Peter explains, testifies, announces the wonderful salvation we have because of the grace of God. Then beginning in the second chapter and going through the fifth chapter, he exhorts us concerning this grace. Since God's grace has accomplished everything, the things the first two chapters say it accomplished, then this is how you are to live as a recipient of God's grace. So the entire structure of First Peter is in terms of his testifying to grace and his exhortation concerning grace in your lives. Then in the 12th verse he tells the purpose of 1st Peter. He says, here's the structure. I testified to it, explained it, I exhorted you in reference to it, why? so that you would stand firm in it. So that no matter What fiery ordeals come upon you in this life? You will be able to stand firm without flinching and without compromise, however fierce the temptation or the persecution may be. And if you are not well-grounded in the grace of God, then you will never be able to survive the onslaughts when they come. You know, it's interesting, as you read these last three verses... And I don't know about you, but I've never heard a sermon before on these last three verses. To see that Peter ends with the same profound note which he began this letter and which he actually emphasizes throughout his book. For instance, what is the very first thing that Peter talked about in defining Christians in chapter 1, verse 1? Let's take a look. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Glacia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The first thing he brings up is that Christians are are identified in the fact that they are chosen by Almighty God to be His people before the beginning of time. And how does Peter end his book? Look in verse 13. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you. You Christians who are scattered all over Pontius, Galatia, etc. You are Christians for one reason. God chose you to be Christians before you were born. And now she who is with me here in Babylon... She sends you greetings, and you count her greetings as something special because she shares the same experience you share. God chose her to be his own before the beginning of time also. Who is she? Elected together with you indicates more than likely Peter is talking about another church. The church is often referred to in feminine terms in the New Testament. She, this church that God has used me to build in Babylon, sends her greetings to you and you accept them because she was chosen with you. Now just an aside, what is this Babylon? Some people believe Babylon is an apocalyptic, cryptic term for Rome. They believe Peter was in Rome when he wrote this epistle. Therefore, Peter must be doing the same thing John did in Revelation, calling Rome Babylon because it was so corrupt. Well, I doubt it. Because First Peter is such a straightforward book all the way through. There is no symbolism in that book. So to end his letter by putting in such cryptic language doesn't seem to fit. I believe Peter was actually in Babylon along the Euphrates River. Remember Peter was an apostle to the Jews and Paul an apostle to the Gentiles. And in Babylon there was a large community of Jews. Peter was probably in Babylon starting a new church. So when addressing the churches scattered through Asia he says this, "Church, maybe of a different background as you, But nevertheless, they are chosen in Christ, just like you. So he ends his letter the same way he began it. And that is on election, predestination, that before the beginning of the world, God chose his elect people to be saved out of vast mass of fallen humanity. And it is interesting that whereas Peter begins and ends his epistle on this subject that it is a subject that is so absent from modern preaching today. No wonder modern preaching affects so little in this culture and around the world with the absence of this doctrine. Brothers and sisters, doctrine is important. That before the beginning of time, God, by His sovereign grace, chose a vast multitude to be saved out of a fallen humanity that deserved to go to hell, while bypassing the rest and sealing their eternal condemnation. Brothers and sisters, a case can be made that the preaching of the doctrine of predestination and election is the cure for most of the ailments America faces today. The reason for our most serious ills is that the doctrine of election is not preached in the majority of our churches. Let me give you a few examples. What is one of the biggest businesses, one of the most profitable businesses, and yet one of our biggest problems in the world today? Psychiatry. Psychology. Preaching of the doctrine of election by sovereign grace is the cure for most mental illnesses today. Why? What is the basic cause of most mental illnesses and most personality conflicts? It is an all-consuming interest in self. What does the preaching of election by sovereign grace do? It forces you to take your eyes off yourself and to focus them on a sovereign God. It forces you to take your eyes off your own puny strength and your fears about your future and your life and rest in the hands of a sovereign God who not only chose you to be His child before the foundation of the world, but he then charted out all the details of your life to make sure your destiny would be as a child of God. Those who have mental illnesses today need to hear preaching on the doctrines of sovereign grace. Joe Morcraft tells the story about an old black preacher by the name of Walter Bowie, who Joe says... Is one of the best preachers in America. Pastor Bowie preached a sermon to a racially mixed crowd in southern Illinois, where Joe was also a guest speaker. He said, Pastor Bowie preached a sermon no white man could ever preach. He stood in front of this mostly black audience and he said, Do you know why most of you are in the ghetto today? And the auditorium got very quiet. He said, because you don't believe in predestination by sovereign election. He said, if you believe in election by the sovereign grace of God, it will raise you out of the ghetto. It will give you a reason to live. It will give you a reason to work. It will give you a reason to face the fears and challenges and difficulties of life head on and get the victory over them. And the preaching of election by sovereign grace is also the cure for the arrogance of humanism. What is the plague of the 21st century? Some people say it's AIDS. I disagree. It is humanism that says that man must trust in himself, that his future, his destiny is in his hands. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my own fate. What is it? that puts a blowtorch to the damning myth of modern humanism. It is that we are nothing before a holy God and that your destiny lies in the hands of almighty God and not your own. What do we see in politics today? We see a government that continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger, diminishing more and more of our liberties as it controls with its multitude of bureaucratic, tentacles every area of our lives what is it that is going to to take down this massive status socialist welfare system that is destroying america is it going to take a tax revolt no a new political party no The recapture of the Republican and Democrat Party by conservatives? No. A constitutionally determined Supreme Court? No. What is going to bring down this damnable human status government we have allowed to control our country? The rediscovering of the preaching of election by the sovereign grace of God. How did we get where we are in the first place? Because preachers quit preaching that God is sovereign. They quit preaching that all of life goes according to His predestined plan. So the state gladly stepped in. They took the opportunity and decided, someone has to make a set of plans. We don't want everything to be chaotic. The oh-so-compassionate state was concerned that some people might be taken advantage of. And so ever since, pulpits quit preaching election by sovereign grace in this country, and Christians quit living it out in their lives, the state has become our predestinating power, our Messiah that will save us supposedly from all our ills. It controls most of our lives, even more than the governing word of God. And yet... When man controls, he brings slavery. But when God controls, he brings freedom. When a society believes strongly and lives uncompromisingly by the doctrine of election, by sovereign grace, that society is free. And when it quits believing in old-time, hard-line, strict, primitive predestination, it becomes a state of slaves. Look around you, brothers and sisters. The cure for America is the teaching and the preaching of the true grace of God. What is going to solve the divorce rate in the church? The preaching of the true grace of God. God gave you your mate to make you into the person He wants you to be for His glory. It wasn't a mistake that you have the spouse that you have. What is the cure for envy? To know that outside the all-powerful grace of God, you are nothing. Even if you have all that your neighbor has without God, you are still nothing. You are what you are and you have what you have because of the true grace of God. You deserve nothing. But He gives you just what you are capable of handling without thinking too highly of yourself, There is much, much more that could be said. But there basically is Peter's story of the true grace of God. Here in the early years of the 21st century, it looks like persecution is going to increase. Read your newspapers, look on the internet, it's happening all over the world. It looks like the rejection of Christianity will be more blatant and more bold. If you are going to survive, you better be well-grounded in the doctrines of sovereign grace. And the way to become that way is to be in your scriptures every day, brothers and sisters. And you also better purchase these three books. And you better read them, and you better underline them. One is the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner. Another is The Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. And the third is How to Profit from Your Afflictions by Curtis Crenshaw. There are no other books I'm aware of besides the Bible that equal these books in helping you appreciate and get a handle on the doctrine of sovereign grace. And once you get a handle on the sovereign grace of God, you stand firm in it. And then when hard times come, that sovereign grace, as it has for God's people for the past 2,000 years, will keep you pure and it will keep you strong. Amen.
1: Midweek services, 7.15 Wednesday evenings, again, at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Again, directions and information can be found at 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless.